and skydiving by Tim McGraw. It's a salute to his dad who died of cancer. What a wonderful way to remember your father. How do you want your children to remember you? Kind of, I love that. I love that clip from Cinderella Man. Um, you know, he's a dad uh, giving up his feet, meal for his child. You know, we, we, we step back sometimes. I do. I, I think, how are my children going to remember me? I don't think anyone wants to be, re, you know, not remembered as a person who was a good father or a, a good husband or just a, a good person, a good person. We, want, we all want to be respected. We all want to be remembered really with fondness as dads. I think everyone in this room wants to be remembered remember with fondness. You know, as we continue our series, Wise Up. I want to talk to you about being a real father this morning. Notice I didn't say a perfect father because none of us are perfect. I'm talking about being a real father. My, my wife and I, Debbie, raised two daughters, Kim and Jen, and we're in the process of raising our son, Joshua, now who's seven. And this morning, what I'd like to do is give you some precepts and principles from God's word that have helped us through those critical years of raising, raising our children I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, or God would want us to ask ourselves is, what does he expect of us as parents? What does God expect of me as a father? What does God expect of you as a dad? I think the best way to answer that question is to look at the life of Jesus Christ, to look at his life in his adolescent years. Now, we don't have a lot written about it, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And in favor with God and man. It's short, but it has substance. There's a lot of substance there. It refers to four major areas of our lives. The physical, okay, got the physical and stature. We have the, 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 the mental, which is wisdom. And we have the social and the spiritual, which is favor with God and man. So we've got kind of the four areas here. And I think a good father... A good father wants to help his children find balance by, by, by making sure they develop in all four of those critical areas. That's our goal, to make sure that our children develop in those critical areas, both physically, spiritually, you know, socially, emotionally, just that God would allow us to, to invest in our children in such a way that they will physically and mentally and socially and spiritually grow to become the men and women of God that he has created them to be. See, the reality is that our children are confused at different times in every one of those categories. But to tell you the truth, I don't think we as adults have kind of got it nailed down either. If you look at our lives sometimes, we don't have all four of those categories nailed down. But our children, they struggle at different times in every one of those areas. So what I'd like to do first is kind of take a look at our daughters. As dads, we need to kind of step back and look at our daughters. You know, when, when they look at themselves, for example, at stature, we're talking about the physical. When they, when they look at themselves, young women usually focus on how they look. That's really their number one focus as they get older is how do I look and, and really think about it. What's having the greatest influence on the way they feel about themselves, their self-worth, the wisdom of this world. It's absolutely amazing. The world is constantly pounding away at them of how magazines show them what they should look like. The problem is they're all those magazines are all fake. All those pictures are touched up. Those women don't look like that. They don't. 
Movies trying to tell us how, what, what beauty is supposed to look like, what beauty is. But it changes. Go back from the, whether it's 60s, 70s, whatever, all the way through the year 2010, and beauty, from their perspective, constantly changes. First it was a, you know, a woman with a little more on her, a little meat on her. Then it was as skinny as a rail person. Then it's this is emphasized. Then that's emphasized. And this is emphasized. And this is your hair or whatever. Remember Farrah Fawcett? Remember those? How many people blew their hair back like that in those mall days? Come on, put your hands up. You had your hair all blow back. My hair used to be parted right in the middle. I looked like Vinnie Barbarino. You know what I'm saying? It was all back. I used to blow dry my hair every single morning. Then I started losing a little bit. I quit blow drying it because I figured, man, that might not be helping me. So part of it on the side, put it over here now. And, but I, you know, remember those days, everything, it changes. The world tries to tell our girls, our women, uh, you know, what, what, what they sh- how they should receive their value, what's, what their value is, which I find totally amazing since the world is so messed up. Think about it. They're the ones telling you what should have value. They're the ones telling you what beauty is all about. They're the ones telling you all these different things when the world is so messed up itself. They don't know which end is coming or going most of the time. But they're telling you how you should think about yourself. So what do we do as moms and dads and dads this morning? I'm talking to dads to combat some of those messages they're getting. We need to teach them what true beauty is. In Proverbs chapter 13, 31, verse 30, it says this. Proverbs 31, 30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The Bible says in Isaiah that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Think about that. Jesus Christ says that. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That tells us that he didn't put his worth, his self-worth in his physical appearance. Did pe- were people attracted to him? Yeah, they were. They, were they, they wanted to follow. They were attracted to him. But there was more than his physical appearance. He had the intangibles. There was something about him that people wanted to be around. It was the internal. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus looked like. It's probably somewhere in between that funky picture with him with the flowing blonde hair. He couldn't have blonde hair, just so you know. Okay, A lot of those pictures. I don't know what the guy looked like. It doesn't really matter. But it says he wasn't like a knockout. Whoa, gee, ooh, gee. Jesus, I'm going to follow him. You know what I mean? All the women didn't just follow Jesus because, you know, he was, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. Sounds good to me. It wasn't, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. It reminds me of the book of etiquette. Believe it or not, I have a book of etiquette in my office. From 1921, I found it. I've read through it. It's really interesting. And one of the most interesting parts of the book of etiquette is on the beauty of women. I'm I'm going to read you a part of it. It says, you know that she is well-dressed, but when she is gone, listen, when she is gone, you cannot remember what it was that she wore. It goes on to say this. Who wishes to be stared at, remarked upon, openly admired, if not the ill-bred woman? That's back in 1921. I love the language sometimes. But it's, you know, when, when, when she walks out of a room, you don't remember, oh man, oh man, did you see, woohoo, you know? That's not what you're saying. When a beautiful woman walks out of the room, you don't, you just think she's beautiful. You don't have to remark on every, you know, whatever it was you thought was really attractive. She walks out, it's something, there's something about her countenance, just who she is. Her beauty is her as a person. And so when you're gone, when she's gone, you just don't remark on a particular thing she was wearing or what was emphasized or whatever else. Because it says, you know, who wishes to be stared at, remarked upon, except an ill-bred woman. I think that's funny. Beauty is more, more than just how a person, it's just how a person looks. 
or using your body to attract attention. It's more than that. It's how a person carries themselves. That's what we're talking about here. That's what God is saying. It's how a person carries himself. It's what's internal. Now, obviously, I'm not a dope here. I understand that people are attracted to other people for certain reasons. You know, you, you see a person for the first time, you're like, wow, that person's really beautiful. I understand the outward appearance. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, though. It really is. And I'll tell you something else. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone? This will make my point when it comes to the, the, the whole package of a person. You ever met someone you thought was really attractive? Or oh, let's go on the other side. You ever met someone you thought wasn't very attractive? You saw him, you thought, you know, eh, that's, he's all right. That guy's all right or she's all right. You know, nothing, nothing special. But then, wait, you got to know them. And all of a sudden they got prettier and prettier or more and more handsome. You ever notice that? You get to know someone, and they, they, you, at first you thought, well, I didn't think they were that attractive when I first met them, but then they get better looking as you get to know them. And the opposite is also true. You meet someone, you're like, holy mackerel, that person's gorgeous, or that person's stunningly handsome, or whatever else, and then you get to know them, and they get a little uglier, don't they? You're like, what did I ever, and you know this, what did I ever see in that person? When I first met them, I thought they were a knockout. I thought they were whatever. But then something happened as you got to know them. Your, your opinion changed. Why? You've got to ask yourself why. Why? And this is what I'm talking about. Beauty is more than just appearance. There's more to it than that. It's who you are. Let me tell you something. If you're an ugly person on the inside, that will show over time. If you're, if you're just hanging on thinking, I'm so attractive that I can get away with almost anything, I can, be, I can be obnoxious, I can be sarcastic, I can be whatever I want to people, and, you know, or mean-spirited or whatever, I'm going to tell you something. If you're ugly on the inside, over time, that is going to reflect on the outside. And maybe people who see you for the first time will think you're, you're still all that, but people who know you will start to think, well, what did I see? What did I see in them? I don't, I don't remember. Dads, point out their gifts their, their abilities, their, 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 uh, their talents, when it's not related to their, whatever's not related to their physical appearance, start pointing out things about them as people, as individuals. Boy, you are so gifted. You are so talented. You, you have such abilities in this and that and the other thing. They, 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 need, they need to be confident in who they are, not in who other people think they should be. You read a magazine that's telling them, you're never good enough. Women have it so hard in this culture. Because you're constantly being told you've got to be more something else. It's always the physical. You've got to be something else. Tell your girls. Let your girls know they don't have to be something else. They don't have to be who someone else says they should be. Just help them understand who they are in Christ. This is a, I, I love this video. This father knows what uh, I'm talking about here. How's your day at the club, Father. Interesting, as always. Rupert, we seem to have a situation. We need your resolution. I want to invite Norman Warren and his sister to our Christmas party. Oh, with Lady Armitage, with Sir Nigel, and Sybil, a tradesman, Rupert. How will anyone have fun? He's the gentleman who publishes my books, Father. Rupert. I have something here, Beatrix. I went into Hatchard's bookshop, and I purchased this with good money. Oh, Hugh Whittaford bearded me in the club and rattled on for hours. You know, old Hugh, jowls all a flutter. Wife bought three of your girls' books for our granddaughter's nursery, sending more by ship to Chums and Bombay. And very soon the whole club was telling me of some purchase that they had made of our daughter's creations. So I thought it was time that I bought one. So I went straight into Hatchet's, put my shilling onto the counter. I would have given you one. But I wanted to buy one, like everyone else. 
Now, I owe you an apology, Beatrix. When you showed me your books, all I saw was my little girl bringing me clever drawings for me to comment on. You're not a little girl anymore. You're an artist. A genuine article. I would have been proud to use that word about myself. And I'm proud of you, Beatrix. Thank you, Father. So I don't see any reason why we cannot make a little social effort to welcome the gentleman responsible for this blessing into our home. Thank you, Father. Thank you. See, pointing out the, those gifts and abilities and talents that our, that, our, that our children have, that our young women have. So they find their identity not just in what they look like all the time, because that's going to change their entire lives. Something needs to be put in there from an eternal perspective in their hearts. And dads, you need to be the ones. You know, moms are pretty good at this, but dads, you need to, I, oh, I'm not very good. And here's what you're going to, some of you are going to say, well, I'm not very good at expressing myself. You know what? We'll change. Figure it out. Write a note. Send something. Whatever it is, that's not, that's not their problem that you don't want to share. You don't share your feelings, whatever else. Seriously, I love you to death, but you need to, you need to change. They need to hear it from you. Boy, I'm so proud of you. You are so gifted in this area. You're so talented there. Because if they don't get it from their dads, they're going to go seek it out in some other male. Understand that. They want that attention. Give it to them. Give them that. As a father, tell them how beautiful they are. Tell them how wonderful they are. Express your feelings about their gifts and talents and abilities. And, you know, when, when, uh, talk openly about the cultural pressures that they're under. Sit down with them. I know it's hard, but talk to them about when you see it, when you're watching TV and they're emphasizing something and, and your, or their music or, or, um, or a movie or whatever. You know, and not, this is not to, this is not to get into a, um, you, you don't want to, you don't want to like just lecture them. I'm not talking about lecturing them. I'm talking about, having a discussion with them did you notice that when in that movie i did did you notice that yeah how how did that make you feel how does that make women feel when that happens and get into a discussion with them dads do this get into a discussion with your daughter how it makes them feel when they're watching tv or listening to their music or or whatever else and don't pick on everything just say did you notice in that movie that they portrayed whatever how does that make you how does that make you feel get into that discussion We also need to help them grow in wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. See, it's our job to help them grow in their faith. This is key. This is so key. It is the father's job to help his children grow in their faith. Help them find their identity in Christ. Their identity is not in just the way they look. Their identity should be found in Jesus Christ. If I got in an accident and I, whatever happened to me physically, I would still be Jeff. I'd still be the same person. Unless I put all my identity in myself, whatever, how I look, whatever else. I, I find my identity in Jesus Christ. You know, when people say really mean and, and, and uh, rude things to me sometimes, you know, I used to take it such to heart and it used to really get me down. It still does sometimes. But the reality is I know who I am in Jesus. So when I get a compliment, I take that, I receive that compliment and I'm thankful for it. And I really appreciate it. But I don't believe my own press. OK, if people, oh, boy, this, that and the other thing, I appreciate the encouragement. And I say that. Thank you for the encouragement. But the same thing when someone comes along and says something really mean spirited. 
That's not who I am either. I don't own that as well. I am, I am who I am in Christ. My identity is found in Christ. I know who I am. I'm not surprised about who I am. I know who I am as a person in Christ. So whether there's compliments, which is nice, or there's criticisms, which are not nice, it's okay because I'm still the same person when it's all over. Because my identity is found in who Jesus thinks I am, not in who everybody else in the world thinks I am. That's so important for our children to understand. They need to find their identity in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's God who created us. And we find our purpose and our value in Him. He created us. How will you ever grow? How will they ever grow in wisdom if you don't teach them and help them understand who they are in Christ, who they are. We need to help them understand that to own their, they need to own their own faith for our kids to grow in wisdom. We as dads need to be the consistent model that lives in their lives every single day. We need to be a consistent model that is there every single day. Now we're going to make mistakes, but you know what a good model does when he makes a mistake? What does he do? Ask what? Right. Ask for forgiveness. Exactly. Nothing wrong. You can make a mistake, but you go and say, you know what? I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have handled it that way. I just want to apologize. You know, you, you, what you did was wrong, but the way, the way I handled it wasn't right either. So I want to let you know that I still think you were wrong, but I want to apologize. for. Just be a consistent model. Teach them what it is to ask for forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, to say that I'm wrong, to say that I'm sorry. Be that kind of model. It gives them an example to follow. We need to realize that more is caught than taught. That's important. More is caught than taught. You can talk all you want about you should do this and you should do this and you should do this. They catch more, okay? More is caught than taught. They'll catch more by your example than what you say sometimes. And if what you say is not backed up by how you live, <laughs> that's worse. And it also gives you the authority to talk. When I say something to my children, I believe I have the authority to say it because of the way I try to live my life. And when I make mistakes, I apologize. That gives me the authority to speak into their lives. See, we need to set the pace, not the world around us. Dads, we need to set the pace. We need to set that pace. See, the problem is with parenting sometimes is that we become reactive instead of proactive. We're reacting to everything. We wait until we face a problem and, and then we react to the problem. It may be because, it may be out of love, it may be out of uh, fear, it may be out of anger. The problem is we are on the defensive. We put ourselves on the defensive. Instead of being a proactive parent, you're a parent who's constantly on their heels. You're always just kind of catching whatever comes to you. You're never really moving forward and going the offensive. Deb and I are students of our children. We always have been. We are students of our children. We don't wait for the next wave to come pounding us against the rocks before we react to it. We don't, we're, not, we're not like def, uh, playing defense. We're, not being, you know, we're, we're being proactive, not reactive when it comes to our children. See, our children need us to set the pace. They need us to set the pace to have solid, clear answers to what's going on in their lives because there's so much compromise in our culture right now. And moms and dads, and dads especially, you need to have solid, clear answers to the things that they're facing because there's such a, there's such, there's such a, a pressure to compromise. 
Listen, dads, be the greatest influence in their lives. Be the, be the, the greatest influence, most powerful influence in their lives and never relinquish that position to anyone or anything. Let me, let me tell you some truth here. And I don't care what they write about. I don't care what the experts say. I am the greatest. I was, for my two daughters, the greatest influence in their lives when they were growing up. Now, Deb and I, I'm just I'm including her. I'm just talking about dads, though, okay? I'm the great, I was the greatest influence in their lives growing up. And I, I stated it, and I never relinquished that position to anyone else. Teachers, the peers. Oh, look at the studies. The peers have more influence. Mm-mm. If you want to relinquish it and give it over to them, maybe they do. If you want to give it over to the teacher, you want to give it over to the culture, maybe they do. But a father who lives his life to the best of his ability, to the best of his ability to be, become more like Christ, and who apologizes when he's wrong, and lives his life openly, and doesn't try to be perfect, but just tries to be a real dad, and speaks to his daughters, and invests in his daughters' lives or his sons' lives, that person has the greatest influence on the life of your child. I'm sorry. And dads, do not relinquish it to anyone else or anything else. And don't let anyone tell you that when they hit 12 or 13, you're not important anymore. They're, they're peers. Again. I don't care what the world says. They're wrong. They're wrong. And if you just sit back and go, well, gee, 13 or 12, I can't wait till they're 19 or 20 to get back into their lives. You lost, man. You just gave up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Take it. It's yours. And until another man comes along, puts a ring on her finger and says, I want her to be my wife, she belongs to you in the face of God and she's your responsibility or your son's is your responsibility. Do not relinquish that to anyone else for any reason. Let the boys know which end is up when they come to visit, okay? Let them know who's responsible, who's in charge here. And don't relinquish your authority to anyone else or your position to anyone else in this world. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Dads are the greatest influence along with moms in the child's life. And I'll tell you something. As a youth pastor, here's what I watched. Here's what I watched. I watched students who were on fire for Christ, okay? And their parents were kind of languishing around here. And as they got older, you know what happened? The student came right to the level of their parents as they got older. So who had the most influence? I watched other students who were struggling and struggling spiritually. Nah, I kind of didn't want to really do. And all of a sudden, but their parents were spiritually solid as a rock. And all of a sudden, as they get older, guess what happened? They raised to the level of their parents. They become more like mom and dad. You have influence. Don't relinquish, relinquish it. You guys have influence in your children's lives. Live it to the best. Live your life to the best you can. Be the kind of person who's real and don't relinquish that responsibility. A proactive parent is one who's a step ahead of their child, their, their, this, the, the next, uh, the next you know, phase in their child's life. So if you have an 11-year-old, what you're thinking is, what is my child going to be doing in their teen years? You're, you're, t- you're staying a step ahead. You're preparing not just for what a 12-year-old is going to be going through, but what a teenager is going to be going through. You anticipate it. And don't let anyone tell you that teen years are horrible. What are you going to do? It's going to be terrible. Those are the greatest years of your life. You get to communicate with your children. You get to invest in your lives. It's the, it is the greatest. It is the best years. Just anticipate it's going to be awesome, but prepare for what they're going to be going through. Be a student of your child. A proactive parent talks talks through life issues so they don't become a family crisis. A proactive parent has a tighter grip when they're younger and then a lighter grip as they get older. When they're younger, you kind of, you know, you put the kibosh a little bit on them, okay? But as they get older, you loosen up. Parents are doing it backwards. They just let the kids run wild when they're younger and then when they get older, they kind of crush them in and say, oh, I don't want them to get out there and do this and that. Do the opposite. 
little, little bit of pressure when they're younger through their first you know, five or six, seven years. And as they get older, you start to, you start to loosen your grip. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? If you squeeze something tight, what happens? It dies or slips through your fingers. So as they get older, you've got to lighten that grip. A proactive parent understands their child's uniqueness, their besetting sins, and their personality traits. Some sins, some difficulties are going to be more difficult. Some sins will be more difficult for your child than others, okay? So what you need to do is you need to find out what they are and focus on those issues instead of playing whack-a-mole. You ever play whack-a-mole? Thing pops up, you're hitting, now you're like, you know what I mean? You're whacking everywhere, you don't know what's going on. Focus. What are your child's, dif- what are their difficulties? What are their besetting sins? What are their, what are their faults? What are, their, what are some personality flaws? Focus on those things. Help them work through those. And remember, it's balance, not busyness. Balance, not busyness. Thinking you can put your kid in a hundred different activities to keep them out of trouble, that's how I'm going to raise my kid. I'm going to keep them so busy that they can't see straight. Okay? That's your, that's your parent. That, that's, that is your, that's, your, that's your game plan. I'm going to put them in a hundred different sporting activities and a hundred different activities all the way around. They'll never have any free time in their lives except to study and go to these things. And that's, that's, that's probably not the best way to go. Now, if that's a part of a balanced plan where you're helping your child build character, so obviously you want to get them involved in this, you want to get them involved in this, but putting your child in so many activities they can't think is probably not the best way to go because honestly... You think it's going to keep them out of trouble, but then you have to think down the road a little bit. They've never really experienced those things with you. They've never walked through some of the difficulties with you. You've never really talked those things through. Your plan was just to keep them busy. I'm going to tell you, when they get to college, you're going to have a little bit of difficulty there. Um, If you've never addressed those issues, those struggles, those faults, you're just avoiding the inevitable. They're going to go through those things. The only question is, are they going to go through them with or without you. I'd rather my child go through them with me and walk them through with me. So talk about all the issues, sex and drugs and all the things that are going on. Talk about them. And, you know, parents will say, well, you know, we've never had to address that. I I love that comment. You never had to address it, but your child has. And the question is, who's given them their information, if not you? Again, not relinquishing your responsibility. You got to, that's yours to own. As parents, we need to help our children walk through these issues. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in, 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 in the responsibility and favor with God and man. How are they going to grow in wisdom if we don't teach them? How are they going to grow in, in stature okay, if we don't teach them who they are in Christ, both on the inside and the outside? How are they going to grow in favor with God spiritually if they don't understand who God is, if we're not teaching them who God is? How are they going to grow in favor with man socially if we're not giving them guidance and helping them through the work through their issues and their, and their sins and their personality flaws? How are they going to do those things and find their balance if we're not helping them work through those things? And fathers, you know, honestly, dads and moms, be honest with your kids. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 tells us, truthful lips endure forever. You know, just a couple quick things. Don't defend your child when there's an adult brings something to you. Don't defend your child when you know they're in the wrong, when you find out they're in the wrong. I've watched this happen. For some reason, parents will defend their children, even if there's, I mean, they'll, they'll take their child's side, even if they pretty much know the child was in the wrong. Don't do that. It's not teaching your child the right things. If your, if your kid is, is not very good at something, say they're, they, like, they love baseball, but they're playing t-ball when they're like 13 or 14. You know what I'm saying? 
They're 14 years old playing T-ball. You know, um, it, you know, be honest with them. Tell them it's so much fun. I, I, I'm so glad you go in the backyard and play T-ball. It's so great. But don't tell them that, you know what, you can be a professional baseball player. No, they probably can. They're playing T-ball at 13 or 14. They probably can't. The Bible says raise up, raise up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Take their, go with their natural bent. What's their natural bent? Maybe they're, maybe they're more, you know, they're a mathematician or maybe they're an architect or, or maybe they're an artist or maybe they're, they're musically inclined. D- direct them their, to their natural bent. Don't just say if they like doing something, oh, you're, so, that is the mo- you're the most amazing person. If they're still drawing stick figures at 17, they're probably not going to be an artist, even if they like it. So say, keep, tell them, keep drawing stick figures. I love them. I'll put them on the refrigerator. But, uh, you know, don't, try, don't encourage their natural bent. Tell them, this is hard too, tell them when they're doing something annoying that will negatively affect them in a social setting in other relationships. I know it's hard, but you say like, honey, if you, try to, if you do that in public, you may get some really uh, not very nice comments. Or, I'm sure your husband or wife is not really going to enjoy that kind of behavior. Don't just pass, it, pass the buck to let their husband or their wife or their boss or their friend deal with it. It's our responsibility. Dads, it's our responsibility to deal with. People love, you ever, how many people love to watch reality shows sometimes? I'm, you don't tell me which one, but you kind of, you know, no, I don't watch any reality shows. You're all liars. <laughs> You know why people love to watch reality shows? Because people love to look at other people's behavior. It's so bizarre. It's so amusing. It's so outrageous. And I honestly, before God, think a lot of that behavior is because parents did not address it in their children's lives. And so now you have these adults on national TV and you're going, how could a person? I mean, it's almost like watching a train wreck or something. And it's, you know, people watch it as amusement, but it's like really scary. You watch these people and you're like, holy mackerel. Did not, no one ever tell him that, uh... Let me tell you, if your son is treating women like an object right now, 16, 17 years old, treat him like an object and he thinks he's all that, he's really arrogant, he's got a lot of arrogance, kind of, kind of walks around, treats people and women any way he wants to, hey, Dad, how about sitting down and dealing with it and saying, hey, son, if you continue to do this, your life is going not be, it's not going to turn out very well. It's going to be empty and painful. You think, well, he's a good-looking guy. How's it going to be empty and painful? You know what? I don't care how good-looking he is. If he is arrogant and treats people like dirt, you know how long a wife is going to want to put up with that? Honestly. You know how much pain the person is going to go through because no one in their life, dad, sat down with them and said, I love you, son. You're a great young man. I see the good in you. But I'll tell you what, right now, you've you got an arrogant streak in you that's unreal. And if you continue down this road, he may not like it. He'll get all worked up. You say, I love you with all my heart. I'm just telling you the truth. If you behave this way the rest of your life, when you get out of this house, my mom loves you. Moms love you no matter what. Dads love you. They still love you no matter what. But, you know, um, so <laughs> moms love you no matter what, whatever. So do dads. I'm just teasing. Um, but you can say to them, you know what? In this house, you're loved unconditionally. You leave this house and you see how people put up with your arrogance. And, but you have to be honest. Do it in a loving way. But my goodness, if parents aren't going to say it, if dads aren't going to say it, who's going to say it? We need to invest the time necessary to help them develop strong social and moral character. We need to do that. 
We need to take the time necessary. Take your, if you, take your son for, you know, out for like a weekend and go camping or do something and sit down and talk through. Or your, or your young ladies, you know, the women in your life, take them somewhere and talk to them about some of the issues that are going on. Invest the time necessary to help them grow socially and spiritually. Dads, this is what we need to do. I want to close off by telling you, kind of sharing something with you that I think will help in all four of these areas. Something we're going to do as a church. We're going to go on a community mission trip to Mexico, March the 14th through the 30th. I believe that's what it is. Yeah, March 14th. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. March 24th through the 30th. I think that was wrong. March 24th through the 30th. We're going to go. Everyone's, everyone can go. Men, women, children. Um, we want everyone to be a part of this because I really believe that it will really have a profound impact on your child's life in every one of these areas. You know, I'll tell you. One of the best investments that I ever made as a dad was to take Kim and Jen on mission trips to Mexico every single year when they were growing up. I believe with all my heart, and so does Deb, it helped them. It helped them become the, the godly wives and mothers they are today. Those experiences helped them become the, the, the Christians that they are today. And this is a great opportunity for every one of us. As a dad, I really want to encourage you, really want to encourage you to think about taking this trip March 24th to the 30th. And we'll all go together. A lot of things that we can do. We'll go to Mexico. And, and I know a lot of stuff going on where we are. It's pretty safe. I mean, I, we've never had any problems whatsoever. So don't let anything scare you from, away from this. But I'm telling you, what an incredible investment you can make in your family. It'll be $1,500 per person. I know it sounds like a lot. But if we, t- we start do it, planning now and saving now as a church, if we can start doing that now, I want to get as many people to go as possible. What an incredible chance to go away with your children, your wife, singles, you can go. I want all the singles to go. Uh, The teens can go, junior high, high school. We're trying to get some people. We already have a couple people committed to do child care while we're down there. We'll watch the younger ones, even the youngest ones, so that all the families can go. We want to make it easy for everyone to participate. So just think about this, dads. I'm telling you, I promise you this. It was one of the greatest tools I had at my disposal when you, when you have an opportunity to take your children down there, get them away from all the things that are going on around them, and just invest in their lives and help them draw closer to Christ. So that's what I want to offer. I want you to be thinking about it and praying about it. Seriously pray about it. Talk about it as a family. March 24th through 30th, a whole church, all of us going down together, the entire family, I mean the family of God, the entire body of Christ, all going down together. All right. I want you to think about that. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. Father, I pray that you be with all the dads here this morning. It is so difficult to be a father in this culture, to have pressure from all around us, trying to take away the authority and the influence that you've given to us in our children's lives. I pray, dear God, that we with boldness as dads would stand up and hold our position in their lives that we would speak love to them and truth to them and encouragement to them. Lord God, allow us to invest them verbally and allow us to live our lives in such a way that they can follow us, Lord God, and that would lead them closer to you. That we would be able to say to them, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I pray for every dad here that you would encourage them, Lord God, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them the skills 
the knowledge, the wisdom necessary to be the best dads they can be, to be real dads and just be the best dads they can be. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.